Hello everybody, and I do not have it switched over to Maine. Let's try that! Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight, episode 54, um, and we're going to be chatting a little bit about just places we'd like to visit, um, ideas we've had for where we could go, where we'd really like to go, uh, kind of our wish list of places we would like to attempt doing some bushcraft work and i mean this is i think anyway my two cents on it is this is kind of inspired by um realizing that we have listeners from all over the globe and we got chatting about oh i wonder what it's like here and i wonder what it's like there and it the conversation just kind of continued on and here we are no i mean and, and that's exactly what happened we were we were discussing what to talk about and i mean we have a lot of subjects we could talk about that are bushcraft related but uh, I, we kind of wanted something a little bit different, and uh, a lot of the trips we do now, I mean, they're Atlantic Canada-based, um, for sure. I don't know if either of us have really done much camping outside of Atlantic Canada. Um, Not I as did, much as I would like. No, me me, me neither. Uh, I spent a little bit of time up in the prairies, uh, not so much camping. I did get to do a bit of bushcraft stuff up there. But for the most part, I've spent a lot of my time here in Atlantic Canada. But we meet and talk to people from around the world uh, on different sites and places I, I frequent. You, you often end up talking to people who are all the way around the world. And some of the things they talk about and they show are, are just, you know, in my opinion, amazing. Uh, and that's kind of the, the spur of all this is like, where would you go if you could go anywhere in the world and see any environment and and get to camp there and, and 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 see what it has to offer? Where would you go? I mean, there's so many uh, beautiful places to see. So much wildlife we could interact with. There's old historic uh, places you could see. I mean, the list for me is almost endless. Um, and yeah, I could I could drone on about that forever, but. So we were going to talk about where would we go. Um, one of the places I, I kind of had mentioned just before the show was uh, Australia. It's pretty well clean around the world. And their wildlife is about as different from here as you get. Um, and not only is it different, there's just, well, I guess, yeah, it's different. But th there's such a diversity of wildlife in yeah. Australia. You know what I mean? Like uh, in Canada relatively speaking our wildlife is not near as diverse as it is in australia because they have that extreme well i shouldn't say extreme but they have their own diversity of climates and therefore they allow for the wildlife to kind of go with the diversity of the climate just before we were talking about how the uh, northern australia is around the equator it's pretty hot a lot of deserts and stuff like that but if you go south to like um, the bottom of Australia there, and I can't remember any of the city names there, and I should, but anyway, they get weather very similar to us. So uh, you get you get a winter, you get some snow, you have you know all the stuff that kind of goes with that kind of climate. Yeah, uh, I just see uh, someone pointed out that Woodland Caribou Park in Ontario is uh, Gary's uh, dream trip. Uh, and uh, not so much that one. I haven't really checked that park out, but I've often thought about the Algonquin Park there in Ontario. Mm. Uh, I got grew up very close to that, and they talk about trips. And you can do three, four-day trips across that, no problem, uh, in canoe and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, um, tons of places uh, within Canada. The, the list is pretty big. I, I Probably my first experience with a podcast was a couple of young guys from, I think it was Michigan, um, who went all the way from their hometown to Hudson Bay, up through the rivers. They went up through basically uh, the, the Red River, up through Winnipeg, and right on up through Winnipeg Lake, right up through the little tributaries and, and rivers and stuff until they made it to Hudson Bay. Uh, it was following some other explorer from many, many years before. Uh, and that sounds like an awesome trip. I mean, just took them the better part of the summer to do. And uh, I, I would love to try some kind of trip like that. Uh, so you were telling us, though, or we talked very briefly, uh, where, where was your place you really wanted to see? So much like yourself, 
I had a list that was as long as I am. Like it, it's, I would love to go everywhere and try bushcrafting everywhere as well. Just camping, I guess. Not even bushcrafting, just camping. But if I had to narrow it down to one place, and just as I told you before the show, it would be Iceland. And I think it's just because I've always had a fascination with Iceland since I was a kid. It was always someplace I wanted to visit. It's been my, like, coveted vacation spot on a pedestal. And I guess the bushcrafting thing to go camping there would be great, too. Uh, you had mentioned that it's very heavily regulated for camping and stuff like that. So this, of course, taking in mind that if I was given free reign to go do what I wanted... Like, I could get dropped off in Iceland and just walk into the woods and go camping. That's what I would love to do. I realize that's, you know, realistically not possible. One, I can't afford to go to Iceland. And two, the camping is regulated, like you had mentioned before the show. But if I could just be dropped anywhere, go camping, definitely Iceland. I think the landscape is just amazing. over. The, well, I think the landscape is amazing over there based on uh, talking to people, seeing pictures and and stuff like that. And I guess a close second to that for me would be Ireland for much the same reason, just to see the natural landscapes. And, uh, like, uh, I always liked cliff camping and Ireland has a lot of, uh, a lot of cliffs and stuff like that. And I thought it'd be real neat to get out there and see that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I share that one for like Ireland. I'd love to get to Ireland, Scotland, mm. uh, and right, right up through pretty well, almost anything North of that. Uh, seems really interesting to me. So you got your Sweden and and Switzerland and all these these countries up there. Oh, Switzerland uh, would be nice. I never even thought about that. Germany. Uh, I mean, it, the opportunities for bushcrafting and backwoods camping around the world are mind-boggling. And and the, the things you can see, the river systems, the lakes, the wildlife. Uh, the other environmental things, like you said, the cliffs and stuff, um, you can kind of get a feel for that kind of stuff. They're uh, either in Grossmore, Newfoundland, or even the Highlands here in Nova Scotia. You get some some amazing views and stuff. But but again, uh, where a lot of this is uh, national parks and stuff, you are somewhat limited in what you can and cannot do uh, in a lot of these places. Uh, and and I think around the world, if you had to go, if you chose to go anywhere, you really do have to do your research and find it. What can you do? What can't you do? What are you allowed to use? What aren't you allowed to use? Uh, so, so it's a lot to a, a long trip like that. Me and my wife uh, last fall, we were looking about potentially going south. We looked at uh, Dominican Republic. Mm. Uh, and they have some national parks and stuff that apparently you can camp in. And, uh, I mean, that'd be a much more tropical environment, uh, totally different than anything I've ever attempted before. But even that would be neat. All the places, minus Australia, we've listed so far, uh, foliage and stuff like that still fairly similar to our own. Yeah. Um, and, but no means do I feel limited in, in, in that type of environment. I mean, if you looked at Russia, I think Russia would be very similar to Canada in a lot of ways, mm. uh, at least the videos and stuff I've seen. Uh, I watched a, a documentary, I think it was uh, Happy People of Tangier or something it was called. Uh, sure. Any, anyways, it, it's, it's a group, a small community in Russia that uh, still lives by hunting and trapping and, uh, and, and a little bit of wood harvesting. Uh, and it's really interesting, very isolated communities, uh, still kind of tribe-like settings. And they have like uh, a boat that comes up the river. The, 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 I think it's called the, maybe not Tangier. Uh, but yeah, the boat comes up that one river system a couple times a year and does the trading and stuff. And that's where they, most of their income comes from and most of their supplies. And the rest of the year, they more or less live off the land. It's very, very neat. Uh, it's not something that I kind of thought still existed in that type of the world, part of the world, but it does. Uh, that would be uh, that'd be an awesome experience all on its own, just to kind of... I know here in North America we get... Um, I'm trying to think of the word. There's actually a specific word for it, and I can't remember what it's called, but uh, people that hobby uh, living mm -hmm. the old methodology... And, like, they'll go out in uh, canvas tarps and uh, period clothing and stuff like that. Uh, Sam. Sam, uh, I can't pronounce Wenzel. it. Wenzel. 
whatever you just said. I can't pronounce it. For some reason, my tongue will not allow me to say his last name. Sorry, Sam. But anyway, Sam, he... Uh, your last name. <laughs> I know. It's weird, right? But uh, he, he partakes in some of this, and it's really neat to watch. I would love to go to a location that does that exclusively year-round, much like what you were talking about, and experience that for a longer period of time than just a few days or something like that. Like, actually try and hunker down and live the lifestyle for maybe, you know, a couple of weeks or something would be a really neat idea, I, I think, as well. And there there's places like that here in North America. We do it in Canada. There's people in Nova Scotia, as I mentioned. Sam does this. There's a group there. So I don't think that's really unobtainable either. So realistically, no. that would be a great one to do. It, it exists down in the States, too. I know that it's fairly popular in the States. Uh, a lot of it's centered around more like... Um, the Civil War and stuff like people that, that reenact a lot of that, but they they do they try to live and dress and act in time period. And we have uh, not so much um, camping style, but there are a couple of uh, small communities around Nova Scotia that, uh, for a short period of time, anyways, the people try to live that that way to uh, represent for tourism and stuff. Right? Uh, I remember there was one I've, I've seen we visited. Uh, a little French community in towards, uh, I want to say Yarmouth way. Um, and, uh, mm. it, Lewisburg. Lewisburg is towards Bridgewater. No, that's Lewisburg. Lewisburg is out towards Lewisburg. Yeah. It's sorry. The other way. Yeah. Lunenburg, you, Lewisburg. Gotcha. They have uh, that park, that uh, national park, or whatever it is, a, a historic site. They they have oh, people dressed. Oh, Fortress, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. actually been there. Yeah, so you, I know you can. I, I haven't been there. Apparently, they don't allow dogs. No, and they're so uh, against the color red as well. <laughs> Found that out. <clears throat> so, anyways, yeah, I. I we, we when we camp we generally take our dogs and so we were very restricted in where we could go um so when we showed up they basically told us to keep going uh and there was no real options for us so uh, i haven't been there but friends and family went there and have told me all about it so, different things different places but no we, we were talking and i guess we try to get back on topic just you know what's i guess what's the allure of going away from home because a lot of the camping we watch, a lot of the people we talk to, they we camp the same general areas over and over again because they're mm. accessible. They're, uh, we're, you know, we know what we can do, so we're comfortable with it. We know where we can park. We know all the rules and regulations. We know that no one's going to harass us, really, for this. But I love seeing new places. Um, when we camped with our camper, we hardly ever camped in the same park twice we always look for a new park or a new location and now that i'm doing a lot more of the backwoods camping again i'm always looking for a new place to hit a new campsite or a new lake or a new river or a new physical location uh, and as i'm hitting more and more places here in nova scotia i more and more i think about you know what could i hit that's even further away you know can i find big waterfalls or can i find you know amazing scenery or, or different wildlife or just experiences that that are new and fresh to me. because that's that's what drives me for a lot of this is learning and doing new things uh, i completely agree with you and much along the same line there i i kind of got spoiled when i used to work with natural resources we used to do things called pgis or pellet group inventories i know you and i have talked about it before i don't know if i've ever mentioned it on the show or not and that kind of spoiled me in Nova Scotia because between where I worked, uh, which was Halifax East, so I got to do and explore a lot of uh, like the Sheet Harbor and surrounding areas, the Muscadabit Harbor and surrounding areas, Middle Muscadabit and surrounding areas, and all the way to Cape Breton because uh, there's a moose PGI that gets done there too. And you're flown in by yeah. helicopter, you're dropped off, and you do your PGI and you get picked up later. But regardless, uh, I kind of got spoiled because I got to go to all these different places and see the woods. Uh, I only camped very infrequently, uh, once, maybe twice in Cape Breton when I was doing moose PGIs, just because fog rolled in. But other than that, I just kind of barreled through the woods, didn't really appreciate it as much as I should have at the time. 
And like yeah. you said, now that I'm getting back to the camping and stuff like that, I'm rethinking of all these places I went and I can remember neat things, but I can't remember where they were. So yeah. I got spoiled, but it kind of sucks because now I'd really like to go back and find some of these places because I can remember one place and it's somewhere towards Sheet Harbor. And I can't remember where, but it's somewhere up and around Sheet Harbor. It might be down like the old uh, 336, I think is the highway down there, towards Abraham Lake or something like that is what's in my mind. Anyway, it's like this big open area that's kind of on a cliffy style terrain, but it's just full of like coyote and bear dens and stuff like that. Uh, most of them empty, of course, like these are old dens, but you, it's just the most amazing place that I can remember being in Nova Scotia. And for the life of me, I can't remember where it's at, but if I could find that place, uh, all that stuff aside, I would still love to go out there and like stay. Cause I think it'd be really, really neat because it's big and open. Yeah. So you're going to see something coming after you from like a good long ways away. I'm not worried about the animals at all, but it, it was just such an enchanting place in Nova Scotia. And like I said, at the time, I was like, oh, this is neat. Went on about my day and never thought about it again. And now I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, I wish I had remembered that. And I'm learning more and more that you need to appreciate where you're at in the moment because it disappears really quick. You know, oh, yeah. like, I'm not trying to be philosophical or anything like that, but it, it's literally a realization. And so, yeah, there's tons of places in Nova Scotia that I would love to relive and go camping and just check out and explore because Nova Scotia is not a big province. But there is tons of places people don't go frequently. And there's tons of places I've never set foot on. And I'm sure you're much the same. Like, you're uh, you're native to Newfoundland, and you kind of came over to here. And so much the same. Like, in Newfoundland, where you're from, bigger province, so, of course. But there's probably tons of areas you've never seen. But would love oh, to. Yeah. I've seen maybe 1% of the whole province. Maybe. I mean, that's stretching it. That's rounding up, for sure. Um but the parts that I have seen, the parts that I explored, I mean, it's some gorgeous landscape. It's some beautiful rivers, clean, clear, generally rocky, not so much like a lot of the runs around here are fairly muddy. Um, the terrain is, is more abrupt, so it's a lot, I find it hillier, rockier, you know, your, your, your transitions are much greater. Um, and in the wildlife, I mean, there's, there's more moose and caribou over there. There's, there's not a lot here in this province. But there's no porcupines, no skunks, no snakes. Uh, so no there's snakes? definitely a difference. Um, <laughs> no. No, no. No skunks, no, no porcupines. No. I did not know this about Newfoundland. That's an interesting thing oh, to be no. right there. Yeah. No, uh, it's 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 fairly different in the animals you, you, you see over there. Not so much in the greater variety. In fact, it's 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 a much smaller variety. Uh, except, like I said, I mean, we have caribou, which you don't see in, in Nova Scotia at all. No. I think someone said they used to be here at one point, but they haven't been in. Um, but there was moose here on the mainland, uh, yep. and moose were never in, in Newfoundland until they were brought over. Um, there was also wolves in Newfoundland at one point, but they're they're not there now. Uh, but since almost since I left, there were were the odd one before I left. But there's coyotes over there now, and they say those are appear to have been bred with wolves at some point so they're bigger and and stuff uh so yeah i mean even even here in atlantic canada you see quite a diversity depending on the province and, and area you you go to um even new brunswick our closest neighbors there's uh yeah. there's already a difference in wildlife and surroundings and stuff like that so i mean we really don't have to go far from home to start hitting places that we well at least i'd really love to visit like, I'd love to go to New Brunswick, for instance, and find some wild turkeys, because they now have wild turkeys. And to me, that's that's amazing. Like, I, a turkey to me is like this creature that's just white, and you, you know, you get it off a farm. These things don't run around yeah. naturally. No. But, uh, but, yeah, not just the animals, but, I mean, even the landscape changes a little bit, because... Uh, like, the, the vegetation, the trees and stuff, the foliage, um, they have a lot more... Uh, what am I trying to think here? Like beech and jackpole pines and stuff like that. We got the odd ones floating around here, but you're not getting big amounts of them like you would over there. Uh, failed. Oh, they tried to bring them back in Cape Breton. Uh, so Nova Scotia caribou population is extinct, and the one attempt at trying to bring them back uh, failed. And I assume that was in Cape Breton, which would make sense. 
because uh, Cape Breton is very similar topographically uh, to Newfoundland. Yeah. So that, that kind of makes sense. Speaking of attempts to move animals into different provinces, they tried to put, I think it was buffalo in Newfoundland. How'd that go? Uh, it was generally a failure. They tended to walk off the cliffs, um, <laughs> if I remember correctly. There's a whole documentary on it, and up until a few years ago, there was still one on a small island off the coast of Newfoundland. Uh, one they'd go back buffalo. to buffalo. One low buffalo or bison. I can't remember if it was one of the two. But yeah, they, they put a herd of them on there. They didn't last very long. They, uh, they mostly died off. But it was an attempt to see if it could be brought in and if they'd survive. They didn't really. Um, but, it, it, you know, some attempts to bring animals into different uh, environments succeed and some fail. Oftentimes when they succeed, it's, con it's considered an ecological disaster. Hmm. Uh, Australia that we talked about earlier, I think rabbits and toads are two examples of animals they brought in to uh, assist the environment and turned out to be an ecological disaster. The toads they brought in to get rid of some beetle, the toads ate pretty well everything but the beetle. And since there's no natural predators around, they just multiply uh, ran. And rabbits, well, they breed like rabbits. Um, Funny if the so, saying came from them. Uh, yeah. So Gary said the moose in Cape Breton are not native either. Mainland moose are native to Nova Scotia. And we do still have a few mainland moose floating around. Uh, I had done some surveys with natural resources and we did find a few. They are a protected species. So anybody out there that's thinking, oh, you know, moose hunting in Nova Scotia, don't. Don't go for it. They are a very <laughs> aggressively protected species, uh, and that's basically just signing your own goodbye ticket. But um, yeah. here in Australia, rabbits, toads, feral goats are all big problems here in Australia. I did not realize feral goats were a thing. I can't, like, when I think feral, I think very wild and aggressive, and I just can't imagine that with a goat. But I, I just, I know it means just wild, but... I get this picture of feral goat with like this goat with horns is frothing at the mouth. <laughs> but uh, ah. yeah, because most of those were all introduced species, just as we were saying. Rabbits, toast, and I imagine goats were introduced over there. It doesn't seem like it would be the the kind of climate to support a goat, naturally. I, I don't think it's the climate. It's the problem. It's just that you think about the animals that are over there. The other animal that I think is over there that wasn't natural there before was the camel. Uh, just said that camels too in some spots <laughs> and what i've read is, is now like saudi arabia gets the majority of their camels from australia like interesting you know that um and camels are a really interesting thing if you ever follow them uh they believe that the camel actually originated in south america and I can see that it actually went up through north america across the site um, Siberia, Siberia, and down in, and they they were originally like a a high altitude, uh, cold weather creature. But the same ad adaptations that helped them survive in those environments also helped them survive in deserts. So their ability to to walk on soft like sandy soil or or, or snow uh, to to preserve moisture uh, and and store fat. Uh, worked well in desert so it's interesting that they pretty well don't exist around here anymore and, and there's very little evidence of them in this area but i guess when they do archaeological digs and stuff you can find some remnants and that that would have been the path they took right up through probably in through tibet and stuff and so it's you know a really long way for them to get to where they ended up um i think there was a great trip you know what let's do the camel run We'll go where they started and we'll migrate. Like, I, I just what you exactly said. Wouldn't that be a fun adventure? I mean, dream that trips, there's awesome. a great one. That is an awesome adventure. I am 100% up for it. All we need is sponsorship and I will do it. I will even bring my camel back water container. That way we're, <laughs> you know, can't. <laughs> You'd have to bring a camel back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah, but actually. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, just. The, the other animal I was going to bring up earlier is uh, hogs in uh, uh, Hawaii aren't natural mm. there. And now it's the big hunting's out there because they, they, they're they pretty well aggressive. And I think hogs are pretty 
aggressive in a lot of areas. I know down in Texas, there's pretty well open hunts for them because they, they're such yeah, a problem. Yeah, just mow them down because they destroy farmlands. Um, yeah, they export this Saudi Arabia. Uh, yeah. uh, kind of half-joking, not joking, uh, on to the camel run there. I would love to actually do some visiting and attempt some camping in, like, a deserty area. Because I have never seen an actual desert, minus just, like, driving by it. I've never been There's in... There's a desert. Where? Uh, I think it's west of Winnipeg. But that, that would still be another, you know, uh, if I could do something and money and all that wasn't an option, I would love to do, like, a desert camp of some sort. I want somebody to go with me, because I'm pretty sure if I just tried to solo a desert camp, I would not last. I'm not used to it. I know nothing about it. I would either get bitten by something I shouldn't be bitten by, eat something I shouldn't eat, or literally just freeze to death at night. But I think it would be fun to go out and just experience that kind of landscape. You know what I mean? I probably have the same skill and knowledge about deserts as you do, but I would not hesitate to attempt it. Uh, and Oh, I it, would attempt it. I'm just saying I know I probably <laughs> wouldn't survive it because I got all the desert know-how of a polar bear. <laughs> but... Uh, no, I, I agree with you. Desert would be very interesting. Jungle is something I've always been fascinated by. Uh, sort of the opposite end of the desert. You know, like the mm. polar opposite. There could be one. But all these different environments and, and landscapes, they, they, they enthrall me. They, they, they fascinate me. Uh, I think an Arctic one would be, well, not quite Arctic, but like uh, Yellowknife, Whitehorse, somewhere up around there. Just colder weather. But that would be an interesting one to do. Uh, I know once upon a time, on the Nova Scotia Bushcraft uh, Facebook page there, before we ever even had this dream or anything like that, uh, I remember somebody talking, they were putting together a small group of people that they wanted to try and do, like, a Arctic Circle expedition. Basically, they just wanted to hit the Ar Arctic Circle and come back, uh, which isn't all yeah. the way to the North Pole, of course. The Arctic Circle starts below that. And that would be a neat thing to do, too. But th there'd be a lot of planning involved in that, just because of the cold weather and... You may only be able to get into certain spots at certain times of the year. And uh, Did you see that comment from Gary? Yes, I did. I, just, I could try switching to the laptop and see if I get a, a better signal. But Are you using I your don't know how uh, lapel easy. mic or are you just using the... Uh... Oh, okay. The mic's there. I, I plugged it in. Got the podcast active. But it's most likely a uh, reception issue, um, oh. unfortunately. Um, all right, we'll, we'll run with it for tonight because we're, we're almost done anyway. But um, And the other thing I would like to try is Tropical Island Getaway. Like, you know, uh, you see it on a lot of the survival shows and stuff like that. They get dropped on a tropical island and they're like, you know what, if I wasn't being, somebody wasn't picking me up, I could stay here for a nice long time. It's paradise. I would love to try something like that. Like, go to a tropical island where nobody else is and just try and set up shop. Providing yeah. there was fresh water, because <laughs> I do know that is one of the biggest risks you run with uh, tropical islands is potentially the lack of fresh water. So you mentioned the the Arctic Circle, uh, and, and we started off early on. I was talking about one of the first podcasts I ever uh, listened to, and it's called uh, Adventure North. And it was two guys, uh, Sean mm -hmm. Bloomfield and Fulton Wilt, Wilt, Whitty. Um, they did 2,200 miles in 49 days from, uh, Dang. Oh, they were boating, you said. Casca, Minnesota to Hudson Bay. And they did it in 2016. That'd be a good run. And that's like, um, Justin Barber there. He went across Newfoundland. Another great track right. there. Yeah. And then, and he's, he's got on YouTube right now, him going across Labrador. Mm. And I just, the other day he posted that he was out, um, I think, for 35 days, encompassing most of February. Um, so I think he probably left in January and came back early March. But he just posted a few days ago that he did done another trek somewhere, uh, I, I assume on the island. So, I mean, he's very active and out there. And, and these are types of trips I'd love to attempt. Uh, I've never attempted a trip of that length. Uh, and the planning and uh, support you need to set up to get that going 
it is is pretty monumental. I mean, like us, he he's got a, you know he's got people that depend on him and, and family and stuff. So it's not easy to just drop everything and go for three or four months. I mean, we me and you have, have discussed it in the past, like the show alone. Yeah, uh, it's hard for us to get out for three or four days at a time. What about three or four months at a time? I think they asked you to to potentially commit to up to six months uh, for that show. Um, so far, I think the longest anyone lasted was in the 90s of day. So three months, give or take. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty significant time frame to be away from home, away from friends and family. Uh, and, and that's kind of the the title of that show alone. But when you're gone for that time, uh, you really have no connection to how your family's doing and stuff. And I don't know what's the longest you've been pretty well without connection to friends or family. Since I've been with Melissa, uh, not very long, a couple weeks, maybe before I started dating Melissa, a couple months. Yeah. But I, I was uh, very introverted. Like, don't get me wrong. In my teenage years, I was perfectly fine being 100% of my own and actually thrived in that kind of a situation. I went out of my way to be alone. But, uh, no, since I actually grew up a little and, you know, started, decided I want a family and stuff, I don't think more than a couple weeks, honestly. No. And I, I honestly don't know if I can even compete with that for time. Uh, the longest was, for me... Uh, when I joined the reserve, so I really didn't have much more than maybe a call every couple of weeks home to my mother. I never got to talk to any of my friends, and I've rarely ever seen like news or anything. And that isolation, even there, uh, started to get to me. And and the people around me, we all we we all seen it. I mean, we were with a group. We had people to talk to, but kind of you know isolated from your normal support group. It's, it has a psychological effect on you. Isolate it from really well anyone, that's that's pretty brutal. Like that's that's hard to deal with. I think I could. I think, you know, uh, like yourself, I was a bit introverted, uh, a bit of a loner growing up. Uh, so it didn't bother me not to be around people. But now that I have, you know, bigger support. You don't support realize for- that once you start being a social person, you cannot yeah. really not be a social person anymore it's fine if you're an introvert solo person and you don't need the social aspect with it then but once you adopt the social aspect it is really hard to step back into the solo field um just a couple comments there gary was talking about the guy from ontario that paddled from bc to cape breton longest portage was 30 days he crossed canada twice uh and kiera said his pipe dream is no hot tenting so if we can get them over here with us we can actually fulfill that dream for you no worries uh they say not much of a chance of that in the subtropics but i mean if you ever come this way give us a call we will make that dream happen for you no problem uh i'm oh, pretty yeah. sure we can hook you up with a tent and a stove and we'll knock that one out for you but i i realize there's a long travel in there but for any reason if you happen to land here, I 100% guarantee you will set you up. Yeah. Yeah, I do plan it for the winter months here, though. <laughs> I was going to say, if you land in the summer, we'll send you to the woods with a tent and a stove. But... It's not going to be the same. No, I mean, if you could land here in late December, right up till sometime in February. you got a pretty good chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of those months, it gets iffy. Uh, yeah. It really does. This year's been a little thicker for snow, but in previous years, snow has been gone by March 1st. Cooler weather, but no snow. Yeah, Uh, Our our best, our coldest two months are definitely January and February, and and snow is iffy in this part of the province, but you can go, uh, (laughs) yes, that's where I pass out. Yeah, that's about (laughs) where I am. If I ever get into temperatures between 35 and 40 degrees Celsius, and I realize it's probably a drier heat down there not as high humidity but uh that's oh that's hot like 35 degrees in the middle of the summer in nova scotia with a high humidex is about where we hit those degrees yeah well i was in texas a few years back for work and they were hitting the 35 40s and uh people didn't go outside like as i'm i'm walking around the 
the place and i mean you as soon as you go out you're sweating and you you it just sort of drops drops your your will to do much but i noticed like you see people go from air conditioned houses to air conditioned cars to air conditioned malls and back but yeah. you never for a stroll in the, in those temperatures and in the evening came along and people started coming out again because the humidity drops and the temperature drops and it's livable again but in the middle of the day at the high heat uh and I think, like, if you uh, you watch anything about, like, Mexico, they have, like, the afternoon siestas and stuff. Like, that's what that's about, right? Oh, for sure. I was just rolling. I was reading the comics and laughing a little there. Hey, Christopher. Um, the hottest I've ever been out in, it was with Humidex. It was 42 degrees, and we were working at a rifle range for natural resources. I'm not going to say where or who with because I don't really want to. It wasn't a bad experience. We just had to get the work done. And we were digging a ditch to put a culvert in because our yeah. uh, the chief firearms officer was set to inspect the range like in three days. And we were waiting for a break, waiting for a break, waiting for a break. And it just wasn't coming. So we we're like, nope, screw it. We're doing this on, let's say, Thursday. And it happened just to be the hottest, most humid, most relentless day ever. And I ended up going to get some shale from our shale pit to try and put drainage in around this pipe, and I blew out a tire, and it was just a miserable experience. So, no, at 40 degrees, old Roberto shuts down. And I've come to that conclusion ever since then. Yeah, he, so he just said the 70% humidity. I mean, up here we often hit 70 and, and much higher. Oh, yeah, um, easy. Uh, it's odd for us to hit below 50% humidity. Like, that's when stuff's yeah. really drying out. And that's why it's so cold here, too. Like, the temperatures don't get super low, but the chill here can really cut. Uh, I think the hottest I ever hit it would either have to be Winnipeg, um, where one day I actually jumped into Assiniboine River, and anyone who knows the Assiniboine River knows that that's... That's not something iffy. <laughs> uh, but working on black soil in the sun, uh, oh. and I bet you we have to 100% humidity and temperatures easily hit high 30s, low 40s. Uh, it was some of the most miserable conditions I was ever in. And uh, I still, like, I can I can picture it now. At the end of my shift, I would put on my black leather jacket and jump on my motorcycle and drive home. Oh, but man. you just don't slow down. <laughs> no, you have to keep the air flowing. And I, I guess that was the hottest day I remember for digging. But a lot of the fires I was on in the summer, I mean, you're in that big oh. black burn over. And obviously, it's dry conditions or it wouldn't have burnt. And there's been some hot days for that, too. But I guess the adrenaline and stuff and excitement's going through that. You don't think of it much, but... No, but you you can definitely suffer from that. 40 and you're uh, 100% humidity. That would be gross. Of course, of course people, people stop funk. Zero to five degrees Celsius. That's our happy temperatures right there. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's, that's just where things are nice. Uh, if, um, I don't know if you ever checked out the rest of our YouTube videos, but we have a camping trip there or our hammock setup video. That was the temperature range we were existing in was zero to five degrees. So I think it actually went up to seven or something like that. Yeah. But it was just nice. Like that was beautiful. Yeah. No. I, I, it was definitely zero to, or well down around the zero degree mark. Uh, I don't think we quite hit zero. Um, but it was hovering at it. Oh, it was the uh, waterfalls that was slower, wasn't it? Because that was early in the year, and we had that mist hitting us. So so cold. <laughs> <laughs> but we, yeah, we did two nights. Was it two nights? Both. Yeah, yes. we did two nights on the waterfall. First night wasn't as yeah. bad. Second night was bad. Uh, yeah. and I think we did two nights for the for the other trip. Did we not? Three, technically, no, but I... one was in your camp, wasn't it? Or was it two it was and one was in your camp and one was... I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't remember either. Uh, I think it's probably two, one in the camp and one out. So we just went out, we cooked the turkey. I mean, any trip where you cook turkey is just awesome. That was the uh, best trip ever. I don't think I can go <laughs> camping without turkeys now. <laughs> it's hard pulling that 20-pound tank, though. Yeah, it, <laughs> if it wasn't our setup... I probably wouldn't have done it. Anyway, we, we digress. If you want to see that adventure, definitely go check out the video. It's worth it. We had some fun. Um, but we don't, I, I think we covered it, but not as much as I we could have. Uh, yeah, we we both would love to see much more of the world. Uh, 
the list of environments we'd like to see are pretty well endless. Uh, and the types of things we'd like to – the coldest they've had down there was minus 8, and that was great. I think great. it's minus uh, 8 right now, and i got the window open. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even have a fire going. I attempted it. I, half-assed. <laughs> attempted it. <laughs> Eh, it might burn, it might not. I threw some cardboard into a little lighter and said, it might light, and walked away from it because I had the podcast going and I wasn't going to pay attention to it. Um, but no, yeah, we've I've been out in minus 20, 30. Uh, I may have been out in minus 40 before. I don't know if I've ever overnighted in minus 40, but that's not uncommon. We uh, Growing up, we had snowmobiles, and we'd go out on the lake ice fishing and stuff. We often hit temperatures approaching those temperatures, and... I can remember huddled up behind the snowmobile just to break the wind with with the uh, fishing line in the, in the water. And uh, Gary knows I cannot catch fish in the winter. Uh, that is I can't catch can fish anywhere. You know that. All the pepperettes in the world can't help me catch fish. Uh, if any of you guys out there are friends with me on Facebook, if you look back through, you'll see um, one of my albums is called Extreme Cold Weather Camping. And it wasn't an overnight. I had Melissa with me. Uh, there was actually no snow, but with wind chill, it was like minus 38 or something like that. It was like a bitter cold snap we had. And that's probably the coldest in Nova Scotia I've been out wandering through the woods doing stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I tend to but agree with Gary. It's easier to camp in temperatures minus 20 than it is around zero because you know what to expect and everything's frozen. It's easy to work with. It's drier, too. Once you get to those temperatures, humidity disappears again. Um, and if you can keep the wind off you, you can actually oftentimes be working in a light jacket or, or taking your jacket off. I've often worked with a, in a sweater, cutting wood and, and, and setting things up. And it's surprising how warm you can get in a such cold temperature. Mm. As long as you keep the wind off you and, there's, again, there's no real humidity at those temperatures. Uh, but when you get closer to the zero mark, you get that humidity, you get everything that's damp, uh, the snow is damp, the, the trees are damp, everything seems to be more damp, and you get that freeze-thaw stuff going. And uh, I think something we started saying early on is, you know, the, wor the worst thing in the world is cold and wet. Yeah, it, it definitely you can, is. You can be wet and hot, you can be cold and dry, perfectly fine. You can be hot and dry perfectly fine cold and wet you you that'll kill you that's that's a dangerous combination um there's not much you can do with it uh except try to get dry see i'm not alone there's other people that can't catch fish and if you're wondering what the joke is once again try uh watch our first camping adventure uh long story short ben and i tried to do primitive fishing ben was successful i was not <laughs> And you tried. You've tried so hard. Oh, was... man. I was so hoping. I just wanted one fish. Like, I had actually stripped down, and this was early May, and crossed the river to try and get to a better spot. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, no, nah, I'm getting a fish. I did not. And, I, and I'm sitting there, like, at our campfire, pulling them out. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, you're just, like, tossing it. Oh, I got another one. And I'm just like, what the hell, Ben? <laughs> I got seven, right? I think. Yeah, you had quite a bit. We only kept three or four, uh, like actual yeah. good size. But you had a ton of them. Yeah. Actually, there's um, a video on the Facebook page. I was trying to catch some underwater video, and you can see Ben catching a fish. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was, was a good trip. Uh, I'd love to do a fishing trip uh, mm. to Newfoundland. It would be an awesome trip for me and you to do if we ever had the opportunity. Um, go south of red indian lake um between burjo and and or yeah burjo and and uh hit some of the spots back there i mean just huge fish and unlimited fishing really like opportunities not that you can catch unlimited fish there is a limit <laughs> yeah but uh a lot of fun. but yeah no uh near and far uh there's tons of places we love to visit uh it's great you know having people from around the world literally all the way around the world you couldn't get much further here talking to us about this this type of topic and uh if i would love to get down to australia and camp i think that would be one of my top three uh, yeah i yeah 
Yeah. I, so I, Gary, unlucky is not the word for that trip for me. Uh, we caught zero fish and we lost a cell phone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a video for that and I was so disgusted I never even edited it. Uh, and and it's not Gary's fault. He did absolutely everything awesome. Oh, we had I remember it. you telling me about that. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. I mean, Gary set it up. Uh, I, I think things couldn't have gone much worse for me. Uh, we, we decided to go to, there's a shape to the lake and there's like three or four lily lakes in Nova Scotia, by the way, because Nova Scotia cannot come up with unique names for anything. We just keep no. naming everything. We name. Uh, and they were both in East Hance or Hance area. So we, uh, he's like, okay, I, I, I will, I may hold you to that. Uh, so I end up on the wrong lake and I call Gary and I'm like, where do you want to meet? And he's like, right off the road and i'm like there's there's nothing here and he's like you're at the wrong lake and i'm like shit so <laughs> i check it in 20 minutes away i like i'll be there in 20 minutes so i show up he's already out there. he's got like four holes already cut and stuff and he's just working his way out trying to find a good spot he and, was living uh, it up while you were trying to find it right. and um i just because i have it up and i'm not trying to cut your story in um just kind of giving an idea of where everybody's from like, th this is what sparked the whole conversation, is we were just looking at where our... Like, ignore the stuff on the right, that's just for us. But on the left, this is geographic location from where everybody's listening to us from. Uh, once upon a time, United Kingdom was the highest, but the United States seems to have crept over that, followed by Canada, which is interesting to me, because we're Canadian-based. I assumed we would be, like, that 61 percentile, but... Yeah, like, we got United States, Canada, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Australia, Belgium... Uh, Italy, Sweden, Ireland, uh, Portugal, Poland, Netherlands, Austria, Japan, Denmark, Turkey, Finland, Brazil, New Zealand, South Africa. The list just goes on and on and on and on. Like South Africa, really? Apparently, that's awesome. <laughs> See, there's another place I'd love to visit. I'd love to do South America. I'd love to do Africa. I'd love to do um, Australia. I would love to do New Zealand. Um, these are all places. Uh, yeah, but a lot basically of anything that's on this list. I would oh, love Turkey. to visit. Romania, Ukraine. Oh, man, there's all kinds of cool places here. Right? Uh, like, it's just an awesome list. I don't know. So, anyways, we just... I I don't think there's a place there that I couldn't find something I would love to see. Oh, for sure. Uh, and most of them, multiple things, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Um yeah, we need to set up a hosting program. Host Atlantic Canada Bush, Bushcraft Adventures so for a day. Queensland. Um, so f just touching on the Queensland thing there, I, I don't actually know where Queensland is in conjunction, but somebody, I was telling Ben before we started, uh, somebody from my local fire department had actually gone over to help out with the wildfires that you guys were having in Australia. Uh, and he ended up somewhere on the southern... I'm going to say it's the southeastern shore. I don't know. The map he showed me was flipped upside down, and I couldn't get it all straight in my head. But anyway, uh, apparently some really neat places over there. But oh. <clears throat> I digress. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. Um, so, uh, no, I think we can wrap this up because, honestly, I, I, I could go on talking about countries and places and then i could start the the google searches and next you know it'll be next week and, and we're still talking but, like we have a bad habit if anybody hasn't noticed yet that we can just keep going and going and going and this is generally how our conversations go in the woods too if you're ever wondering like we just talk non-stop yes which but, we're not complaining about that's just how we are no. <laughs> but we enjoy it so it's 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 all good um so yeah, uh, I I think it's a good topic. I mean, it's it's you you won't necessarily learn a lot from this particular um, podcast. And uh, we don't profess to say that every one of our podcasts are informational either. Some of them are opinion based, and that's what this one is. So, but I I really want people to think about it. I think getting out and seeing something that's not necessarily in your in your comfort zone uh, is is an amazing thing, and and the opportunities and things you can learn and see. I mean, just the the people. If you got besides the environment and the animals that I'd love to see, the, the opportunity to potentially camp with people from a different world to have, have 
you know, and it is basically a different world. The things they they do and why they do it. Some of it you could bring back here, and it would be very useful. Other things just won't work here because we don't have the right environment, right trees, right animals, whatever. But I mean, a lot of it is, I'm sure, transferable. Uh, and and I've watched other bushcrafters over the years that have done like world trips and the things they've learned and stuff. And I try to incorporate some of it in when I can, but a lot of it is just like interesting to know. And it sits in the back of your head, hoping that someday you might have the opportunity to do something with it, right? Uh, uh, prime example of that for me is I want to do stuff with the yucca plant. You see it in all of the, like, southern bushcrafting videos. Oh, you just go out and get your local yucca plant. And I'm like, I want, we don't have yucca. We don't have anything no. that's even similar to yucca plants up here. Yeah, no, there's 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 a, a lot of really cool plants and stuff out there and, and, and stuff that people talk about they can do and uh, yeah we we, we have a, a fairly diverse uh, flora here but it's it's what we're used to mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and and the change is quite abrupt even as you travel sometimes a short distance of what you can and can't do so uh, we, we could have a whole conversation about that. And maybe that's one, uh, a future one where we'll talk a bit about the fauna and, and, and types of things we, we see and use. Um, yeah, I think we should wrap quote right there. There's a quote for the ages. Specifics are geologically tied, but the attitude is universal. If that yeah, shouldn't yeah. be on a t-shirt, I don't know what should be. I can make that happen. I know. <laughs> that's why I was saying it. <laughs> It's a junior died, but the attitude is universal. Yeah. Um, anyways, it was great talking to you guys. Uh, is it Kier? Kier Fay? Frey? You, yeah, I know you, know you tried. I've tried. I've murdered his name so much now. <laughs> Whatever I say, I know it's wrong. So I, I just. Hopefully they understand. That's how I am. I expect so what we need? some poisonous spider in the mail someday. <laughs> We need to get him on here talking to us one day so we can get him to pronounce it for us. Yes, uh, there. Perfect example. Um, somebody from Australia, yeah. why don't you join us one of these times? And let's talk a little bit about the Australian outback and your experiences in bushcrafting. Because for us as Canadians, all we can do is dream. <laughs> Good humor, at least. <laughs> 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 very good I, I think my dog is the closest thing I've ever gotten to something from Australia <laughs> I, I've i gotten nothing so my uh, when, when we got my dog Molly uh, the 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 woman who, who gave her to us was from Tasmania uh, and I think she brought the parent the mother over from Australia so Close enough, Ben. <laughs> See that—that's the best you can hope for. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, I guess uh, we—we've tried to wrap it up twice now, and I kept dragging us back in. So this time, I'll let you finish it off, Ben, and I'll just sit here uh, and look pretty. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear, hear and see you all next time. Uh, I'm sure this conversation isn't really over between me and, and Rob, but uh, we'll, we'll let you guys go and we'll talk to you later. Have a good night, everyone.